All right, welcome back to episode three of the Chrysostom Podcast, a podcast devoted to the life and teachings of St. John Chrysostom. Just want to welcome you to the episode today and just address a few things before we get going. One, thank you so much for listening today. Seriously, it's just I'm blown away uh, by the amount of people listening. Uh, I'm not going to pretend like it's some massive amount, but the fact that anybody would want to listen to this podcast, I am just blown away. Two, I want to let you know of our Instagram page. So if you want to follow us and get some good quotes and pictures and all the updates on everything based around the Chrysostom podcast, you can follow us on Instagram at Chrysostom underscore podcast. It's our little green logo with Chrysostom in golden letters across there. Would love for you to give us a follow and just stay up to date with everything that you're doing. Third, um, as you can already probably tell, uh, my voice is a little bit louder this episode and just a little bit of a higher pitch or whatever. Um, I want to apologize if there's a little bit of uh, echo or if it spikes. I'm still trying to figure out um, how to work everything and make sure that it sounds really good. But I'll just say this, in the first two episodes, I was trying to be quiet because I didn't want the quality of the episode to be bad. I didn't want to spike or whatever. But that's not really how I talk. <laughs> like honestly, when I'm doing podcasting or preaching or anything like that, I'm not usually chill and trying to be quiet or anything. So I went back and listened to those episodes and it got better as the episodes went on. But uh, at the very beginning, I was trying to be quiet and it just cringed me out. And I said, you know what? I'm not doing it. I'm coming out of the gate. I'm talking how I want to talk. Excuse me. It's going to be what it is, and I'm going to do my best to uh, to go back and edit it later and keep it from just like blowing your ears off or anything like that. But hey, with that being said, really excited to dive into our third episode today because today we are addressing Saint John's homily, his second homily concerning demons and the power of the devil. This is a little three-part series we're doing. If you haven't listened to our last episode, we'd love you to go check that out. That'll kind of lay the foundation uh, of what we're talking about today. And so John is addressing the power of the devil in the human's life, in the Christian's life, and he's really trying to address the simple question, does the devil have complete power over us? Essentially, do we have to be sinners? That's really what he is addressing. He addresses a different topic in the last one around kind of the same theme, but today he is really asking that question like, are we just all under the complete 100% control of the devil or do we play a part? Are we complicit in our own sin and what do we do in light of that? So let's go ahead and dive into that sermon. So John begins, as usual, um, a little bit off topic. Here's why. John is preaching in public and it's evident that the Bishop Flavian is there. So this is uh, the Bishop of Antioch. This would be John's Bishop uh, at the time. I'm pretty sure John is still just a presbyter at this point and isn't quite yet the Bishop of Constantinople, which he'll be later. So it's important to note that at this time, a bishop is a basically is basically the head pastor of a city. And this would be John's superior. And so John in really good ancient fashion and just really a positive thing in general, spends time opening his sermon 
honoring the bishop Flavian. And so he actually compares uh, Flavian to Isaac. So Isaac, when he was hungry, sent his own son to get something to eat. But he says Flavian is different. Flavian is, is their elder, their, their superior, if, you're, if you will, but he came to give. And so maybe he came to preach earlier there or dispense some spiritual wisdom. And John is really kind of pumping him up. John actually uses like a bunch of poetic language to honor and really just talk about how amazing Flavian was. And this is probably uh, stemming from John's, you know, studying of rhetoric. It's probably part of the culture at the time, and it's really just a good thing. So he's he's pumping him up. Today we'd read it, and we'd probably roll our eyes a little bit if, like, you know, you were at a conference and a pastor said something this nice about the leader of the conference. Like, it's good to honor him, but you don't want to, like, you know, pump him up too much. But that's what John's doing. That's his style. He asked uh, for Flavian to pray a spiritual blessing over John and the whole congregation, just really uh, looking up to him as an authority there. And so when we read that, honestly, we can read it and, like I said, roll our eyes and be like, come on, John, like just get to the sermon. We're not there to build up men. We're, We're there to build up Christ. We can get super spiritual all about it. But honestly, I think this is a good thing, and I think it's something that we can learn from. Because here's what I mean, that I think our culture today is so informal in the way that we deal with things, that our culture today is so uh, antithetical to authority, to superiority, right? That you're a boss, you're superior, that's not a good thing, that we kind of view every boss or superior like Michael Scott from The Office, like they must be stupid. But John is recognizing that those who have been placed over us, and listen here, especially those placed over us in the Lord, are deserving of a special honor and respect and that we should look up to them. Now, I don't mean that we have to go kissing their feet and hugging them and just just telling them they're the greatest thing since sliced bread all the time. We don't have to worship them by any means. But when someone has been placed in, in a place of authority over you by God, whether it's your youth pastor, your local church pastor, or your bishop, or your overseer, or whatever tradition you come from, whoever that is, simply just show them honor, the honor that is fitting for your tradition, for your culture, for your environment, for the setting that you're in. Just show them that honor and recognize God has placed them there. And so we should get back to that, whether it's simply shaking a hand or telling them that you're thankful for them, or if you have something deeper or more cultural, let's just return to that, knowing that God has placed spiritual authority and and, and elders in our life for a reason, and we should be thankful for them. But then John moves into the, the meat of his sermon. And so now he's wanting to preface us on the last time that he preached. So he's telling us this, that it's actually a good thing to study the devil. That's what these three things are on. That sounds kind of odd, but he says it's not because we really delight in talking about the devil, but because, I quote, it is a great security to know clearly the tactics of your enemies. Like, sounds like a good war strategy. It's good to know the tactics of our enemies so that we know when and how they are attacking us. He reminds us that the devil does not have complete power over us and he can't make us do anything by compulsion or else he would have destroyed us by now. He reminds us of the story of the pigs that when the demons possessed the man, they couldn't kill him. But as soon as they went into the pigs, the pigs died. 
This is what the devil wants to do for us, but he doesn't have power over humanity, and that's why he hasn't completely destroyed us yet. He doesn't have all power over humanity. Instead, John emphasizes that the devil is not, you know, this, this person who is completely controlling us to, you know, 100%, but that he's a deceiver. He's a liar. That the devil instead is trying to trick us into rejecting God and falling into sin. Uh, John praises Job, talking about how great people are who reject the devil. He's basically talking about how awesome they are when they're diligent against the devil. And so he kind of compares Job against Adam. And he really, it's, it's kind of implicit in there, but he's basically saying, hey, um, Adam, he really didn't stand up to the devil. He really didn't prepare. He really wasn't diligent. Job, on the other hand, my man stuck it out. And he kind of has high praise for Job. And so now we can see John hasn't even gotten into his message yet, but he's just beginning to hint what he wants to talk about. And so that's why John, with the last preface before he gets into his sermon, begins to highlight the human responsibility to resist the devil. He creates this, a, a fictional scenario, and really to resist sin. Let me clarify that. The human responsibility to resist sin. So he creates this fictional scenario where there's one adversary and two opponents. So a 2v1. One opponent is slothful, they're fat, they're lazy, they're out of shape, they're all these other things. The other one has spent time training. They're in shape. They're ready to wrestle. They're ready to go. And John's basically like, who's going to win? Well, it's obviously the one who has worked out, the one who has trained, the one who's ready to go. But then John proposes this. John says we can even imagine that the adversary all of a sudden is is gone. Who's still better? Who still comes out better on the other side? It's the trained one. The slothful guy has already set himself up for failure in the future, failure health-wise, failure in his career. He hasn't practiced hard work or discipline or health or anything. He has set himself up to fail even without an adversary. And so John is really setting up his argument of human responsibility against sin. Even without an adversary, the slothful person who doesn't prepare against sin, they're setting themselves up for failure. He mentions how the devil is a slanderer. He's not a slanderer by nature because he was created good, but this is what he does. I believe John highlights this to try in some way diminish the power of the devil, that the devil isn't like in his nature completely and totally a slanderer, but this is what he does. I believe this is what John is doing, but I could be wrong. He slanders God and his people. He, he doesn't have strong power, but he just simply talks. He accuses. He slanders. He brings people down. And John emphasizes that those who the devil gets are unprepared that they are not ready for what's coming. John says another name for the devil that's not of his essence, but of his choice, is wicked. He says the devil takes the preeminence in wickedness. And the reason he says he's so wicked or that he takes the preeminence in wickedness is shown that he hates Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve didn't strike first. They didn't attack the devil. They didn't have bad words for the devil. They didn't really even know of him, I suppose. But he hated them simply for their relationship with God. That's how evil and wicked the devil is. He's trying to lay a foundation. Yes, the devil is wicked. The devil is easy. And now we move into the main part of his sermon. He's doing all this buildup, all of this preface. He's trying to lay this foundation to prepare our hearts. And now we get to it. John gets to his main point. 
The devil is not the source of all wickedness in a fatalistic way. Humans still must be prepared against sin and not slothful. Because here's what was going on in John's day in Antioch. There were a number of people who held an ideology, a philosophy, said that, that said that the devil and his demons were essentially in control of the world, in control of sinful human beings, and that there were those who were under the power of the devil who were going to sin and could do nothing else about it. Like it was a complete just... It was disgraceful against God. It was giving way too much power of the devil. And it was encouraging people to just live in sin instead of holiness. To just not even get up and try. And so the reason John is going to emphasize such strong personal responsibility in this message is not because he rejects God's grace. It is not because he's Pelagian in any way. It is not because he thinks that human responsibility is it. That's all we need. We just need to kind of try harder, put our head down, and we're going to be better. John is preaching in a specific context in which people have ascribed too much power to the devil. And he's trying to let us know, yes, the devil is evil. He's wicked. He's the father of lies. He's a deceiver. All those good things. But... We are already sinful too, and if the devil died today, we would still need to be prepared. So this is what John says, and I quote, Let the devil then be let alone, and let us bring forward the creation, in order that thou mayest learn that the devil is not the cause of ills to us, if we would only take heed, in order that thou mayest learn that the weak in choice, and the unprepared, and slothful, even were there no devil, falls and casts himself into many a depth of evil. The devil is evil. I know it myself, and it is acknowledged by all, yet give heed strictly to the things which are now about to be said. Translation, if the devil died today, the unprepared and spiritually lazy would still fall into sin because we can't place our sin fully on the devil now after the fall that our flesh has been corrupted that the world is sinful there's something on us still to do so john's first argument is this if we're going to just place all the blame on something outside of us if we're going to place all the blame on the on the devil well why couldn't we do it with other things in fact he uses this example why can't we just place the blame on creation because he begins by saying this the devil's evil but creation isn't in fact, creation, everything we see is beautiful and wonderful. When God created everything, he said that it is good, that it speaks of God's glory. Paul tells us that it actually reveals God in, you know, into the world, that no one may be without excuse. Creation is not evil, but totally good. And yet, men still worship creation rather than the creator. John really asks us, he says, are the devil and the demons, you know, in this verse? No. The devil and his demons are nowhere to be found in these verses. We're just worshiping creation. Yet, are we going to say that creation is evil? Well, no. Creation's designed to reveal God's beauty and God's glory. We're not going to call it evil. And yet, men end up worshiping creation. So what is he trying to say? That if creation is good, and it's outside of ourselves, it can't be the source of our sin. If the devil is nowhere found in these verses causing us to worship creation, then where do we look? We look in ourselves. 
in our own sinful selves, at our own sin. In reality, John is laying down a really good case for original or ancestral sin, whichever position or phrase or word you'd like to take, that humans are born sinful. Paul even says this, we need to even be careful with our own bodies because even though our own bodies were made good, when they're used wrongly, they can cause us to sin. Here's a quote from him. He says, and look, and I was given in order that thou mayest behold the creation and glorify the master. But if thou dost not use the eye well, it becomes to thee the minister of adultery. A tongue has been given in order that thou mayest speak well, in order that thou mayest praise the creator. But if thou givest not excellent heed, it becomes a cause of blasphemy to thee. So John is trying to tell us that even when we look in our own bodies, which is a part of creation, which God calls good, that we need to make sure that we use it rightly because even that can, can be a, a tool to sin. Not because our bodies aren't good, God says they are, but because we internally are sinful. John is basically saying, look, you can't put all the blame on the devil. It doesn't work. The logic doesn't match up. So he then says this, Does thou see that all things hurt the weak man? Does thou see that even the medicine of salvation inflict death upon the weak, not because of their own nature, but because of his weakness? That even creation that should bring salvation to us and bring us to God's glory can actually bring us into sin. Not because there's something wrong with creation, but there's something wrong with us. He even mentions that the apostles said that they and their message is a savor from death unto death for those who are sinners. That the good news of the gospel is actually bad news and death to those who are sinners. He says, Jesus came into the world so that the blind may see and so that those who see may be made blind. Does the light of the world make people blind? No, it's the sinful disposition of the people and their inability to receive him that does. It's those who think they see but are actually spiritually blind that are blinded by the light of Jesus Christ. So God, who is good, the highest good, infinitely good, actually in a way produces blindness in people. But it's not because he's producing it. It's because they're sinful and they can't handle it. Maybe produces wasn't the best word for that. But their own sinfulness can't handle the goodness and the light of God. So he is constantly trying to reveal to us that even good things can assist us in our sin, not because they aren't good, but we're sinful. He's just re-emphasizing this over and over and over. So with that being said, after putting the emphasis on us and our sinfulness, this next part is insanely cool. I am not kidding. When I was reading this next part out loud, I actually said, like, oh my gosh, John, this is genius. This is awesome. Let, let me take a coffee break. Maybe I'll edit that out. Who knows? Anyways, sorry, I had to get that. I had to get my podcast fuel in. So this next part is awesome. John now wants to emphasize to his listeners how we should not fear the devil because when used rightly, he is useful to us. And so I just want to say before we even move on, I'm going so fast. I'm just so excited about this next part. If you're one of those people that, that you feel down in the dumps and you, you're starting to feel this, uh, this tension in your heart to just blame the devil for everything. 
That if in your sin, you are basically saying to yourself, there is no way. There's no way I can do it. There's no way I can live holy. There's no way I can beat this addiction, this sin habit, this sin cycle. There's no way I can do it. Listen to me. You can. John has spent this whole sermon weakening the power of the devil. And in fact, he's about to do it in an even greater way. But yes, the reason isn't because Satan has such a stronghold in you, a 100% hold on you, that you'll never break free. The reason is in you, that you are a sinful person born in sin. But here's some good news, that Jesus Christ has come to save you, deliver you, give you the Holy Spirit, and make you brand new. That Satan isn't as strong and isn't as powerful as maybe you're giving him credit for. And so instead of lying down and giving up and saying, Satan's got me, Stand back up, trust in the strength and the grace of God, and you can be free in Jesus' name. But now John goes on, and he wants to um, uh, weaken the devil's power even more. And so uh, John's, John starts saying this. Here's, here's a quote. He says, Thou hast seen that a weak man is hurt on all sides, but the strong is benefited on all sides. For in every case, the purpose is the cause, and listen to this, in every case, the disposition is master. Since the devil, if thou wouldest understand, is even profitable to us if we use him aright and benefits us greatly, um, and we gain no ordinary advantages. So listen to what, what John is saying, that in fact, the devil can be useful to us if we use him right. Like, think about that. He is saying the devil is so weak, is so powerless to us Christians that we can actually use him like a tool to make our lives better. He mentions how Paul, writing about the fornicator to the Corinthians, says, deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Why? That the spirit may be saved. John says, behold, even the devil has become a cause of salvation, but not because of his own disposition, but because of the skill of the apostle. Listen to that. He says that the apostle Paul tells the Corinthians, deliver this fornicator, deliver the guy who's literally sleeping with his stepmom over to Satan. Why? Not so that he may spend an eternity in hell. Not so that Satan can just have his way with him. Not because the Corinthian church doesn't love him or God doesn't love him. What for? So that his flesh may die, but that his spirit may be saved. That if we give this man rightly over to Satan, if we let him plunge into the depths of his sin, perhaps it will humble him and bring him even to repentance. That John is laying out that Satan is so weak, we can literally use him to bring sinners back into repentance. That is the exact opposite of what Satan wants for our life. Like this was just mind-blowing to me. And he says we need to learn how to use Satan rightly. He's literally like a tool for us. He says that like in the day, they would take snakes and kill them in order to get the poison out or whatever to make antidotes. He says, this is what Paul is doing with Satan. He's taking the serpent and he's using them not to bring death, but to bring life. Like, how crazy is that? And he says, look, we're going to do it with wisdom, though. He, he tells the Corinthian church, when, when the sinner comes back and repents, receive him back with love. Confirm him back. Confirm their love to them. Why? So that he wouldn't be swallowed up by sorrow. And so that the church wouldn't be taken advantage of by Satan. 
That Paul fully sees that when we use Satan rightly, he becomes a source of repentance and life to sinners instead of an accuser. He says that Satan is kind of like the job of an executioner. An executioner is there to kill people. But what are they really doing? Step back. They're there to bring justice. But executioners don't kill people and bring justice on their own terms. They only do it at the request of the judge and within the limits and the boundaries set by the judge. And Paul is saying that now that we are Christians and the devil is so powerless, that the devil is, is I've heard Matt Chandler say this before, it's like a lion on a leash, that he is so weak we can use him like a tool. And that when we use him rightly, like a judge uses an executioner, we use him to actually bring people to repentance, bring them to life, to destroy the flesh, but save the spirit. This is powerful. And so John ends by saying, fear not, therefore, the devil, even if he be bodiless. For Paul's come in contact with him, and nothing is weaker than he who has come into such contact, even though he doesn't have a body. As then nothing is stronger than he who has boldness, even though he bear about a mortal body. Translation, even though Satan is a spirit, he's nothing to be afraid of. He is weak. And even though Paul was a, a, a poor, older, feeble man, he is bold in Christ and he should be feared way more than Satan. And so what John is trying to say to us is people do not fear the devil. Don't look for the devil around every corner. Don't lie down and say, the devil's got me. I don't have enough strength. He's saying that the devil is so weak. We're using him now to save sinners. The devil's so weak, God's using him to save sinners. That, that we don't have any reason to fear. We don't have any reason to be scared. But we should have boldness. Like the Apostle Paul that says, There is no more condemnation that he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. That we don't have to fear anymore. And so I want to encourage you, if you're under this fear of the devil, if you're under the fear of demonic or spiritual attack, if you're under the fear of, of Satan bossing you around and forcing you to sin, fear no longer. You have victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to the words of St. John. But listen to this. John wants us to have victory over the devil and not to be deceived. And so now he's kind of closing down before he gets to his practical application section. John says that he's not writing this to take away blame from the devil. That maybe like, you know, some of you listeners, his listeners were thinking the same thing. Like, okay, John, I understand the point is on me. The focus is on me here. But the devil's still real, right? And he's like, yes, the devil is real. He's evil. We can't take blame away from him. I just don't want you to put the whole blame on him. That's what he's saying. He really doesn't want us to do that. And here's why. John doesn't want us to fall into the same mistake that Eve made because Satan came and tempted Eve in the garden. And what did Eve do? She pointed the finger at Satan and said, he made me do it. And yet Eve was still counted as guilty for her sins. And John, an incredible pastoral sensitivity, says, I don't want you to fall into the same trap that you give so much power to the devil that you say he made me do it. And yet when judgment time comes, God says, yes, but you are still guilty for your sins. You played a part too. John doesn't want us to be caught in that lie, that deception and that trap. But he says this, but let us know ourselves. Let us know our wounds for thus shall we be able to apply the medicine 
For he who does not know his disease will give no care to his weakness. I'm going to say that again. For he who does not know his disease will give no care to his weakness. That John is trying to get us to know our disease, to know our sickness, that it's not 100% the devil, but we are born in sin. We are born in brokenness. We are born sinners. That we are, we, we, we are, we sin because we're sinners. We know we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners, because we're born that way. And so John wants us to address this weakness so that we can apply medicine to our souls and receive the spiritual healing and life that God calls us to. And then John enters into this practical application section. He calls his hearers to repentance. And so, listener, if you are in sin, if you need to repent of your sin, I call you to do the same thing. Listen to what John says. He tells the old people that they are not beyond repentance. That if they lived an entire life of sin, God will still forgive them. He says that the thief on the cross had only but a moment to trust in Christ and serve him, but it was certainly enough. If you are old and you have not asked Jesus to save you and cleanse you and forgive you, he'll do it today. He tells young people to repent of their sins and not to trust in their youth. They don't get to decide when they're going to die. John says this, I quote, Affairs are full of much change. We are not masters of our end. Let us be masters of virtue. Our master Christ is loving. If you're young and you need Jesus, I encourage you to repent today. Ask him to forgive you and cleanse you of your sins. Become a Christian. Why? Because we don't get to decide our fate. We don't get to decide when we're going to die. Let's be masters of virtue and ultimately let's trust in Christ to forgive us because our master Christ is loving. He wants to call us to repentance. Not fear of sin, not fear of the devil, not spiritual laziness, but strength in Christ. And so finally he ends his sermon in a crazy practical way. He ends the sermon giving us five ways of repentance. John deeply cares so much about sinners repenting that he doesn't want them to guess, how do I do this? How do I go about this? He wants to give them the the tools to be able to accomplish this. The first way is this. The first way is the condemnation of sins within yourself. Basically, John's saying, admit your sins. Admit you're a sinner and admit what you've done. He says, you're actually less likely to do it again because you called yourself out on it. You're not hiding it. You're not making excuses for it. You're not trying to twist and turn it like it's all right. He says, call it out for what it is. And when it's labeled sin, you'll be less likely to do it. John says, and I quote, this is enough for the master by way of self-defense. And awake thy conscience, that inward accuser, in order that thou mayest have no accuser at the judgment seat of the Lord. That when we recognize our own sinfulness before the Lord, when we recognize who we are, God sees it and he forgives us. Call it out. Call out your sin and ask for forgiveness and God will bring it. Second way, he says that this is actually no less than the first, is to forgive those who sin against you. That John references the Lord's Prayer and, and after the Lord's within the Lord's Prayer and after the Lord's Prayer, the Lord explains to us that if you want to be forgiven of your sins, you must forgive those who've sinned against you. Do you want to be forgiven? Forgive those who have sinned against you. There's no other way. Three, he says that constant and fervent prayer from the heart, sincere prayer from the heart brings forgiveness of sins. 
He talks about the widow in the story Jesus told who had to fervently pray and ask an adversary, an adversarial judge to hear her, and yet he did what she wanted. But we're not praying to an adversary or an opponent. We're asking a gentle master for forgiveness. And when we fervently and seriously pray, we don't have to cajole God. We don't have to beg God. In reality, the first time is enough. God knows what we need before we ask it, and he's faithful to forgive. All right, here's the fourth way. And this is going to weird some of you out, but let me just explain. Explain. John tells us that if we want to be forgiven, we should give alms, give our money. He cites Daniel's word to Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4.27 when he says, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee. Redeem thy sins by almsgiving and thine iniquities by compassion on the poor. And so let me read you a quote by John. He says this, What could be compared with this loving kindness? After countless sins, after so many transgressions, he has promised he'll be reconciled with him he has come into contact with if he will show his kindness to his own fellow servants. That John is saying that King Nebuchadnezzar was like this terrible guy, had done all of these terrible, terrible things, and yet something as easy and as simple, especially for a king, as just blessing his own fellow servants brings forgiveness. Now, is John saying this, that it is an empty kind of vain, kind of mechanical transaction where I can literally, by way of money, pay God to forgive me of my sins. Absolutely not. Recognize this, that when John tells us that we need to repent, he gives us four other ways. John's not saying you got to do all five ways. He's given us five options. So I believe what John's doing is two things here. One, I believe John is referencing something that is basically bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. Remember John the Baptist told the Pharisees, you need to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. I think John is saying, look, if you're serious about this, especially somebody like King Nebuchadnezzar, but if you're serious like this, You want to make it right. Maybe even those who have seriously sinned in a way that you've taken advantage of the poor or whoever. If you're serious about this, one way that you can express it and show it and then bear fruit in keeping with repentance is by giving to the poor. It's by showing God, I am in your kingdom. I am on your side. I want to serve and I want to love your people. It's basically saying, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm going to feed your body. Jesus, I'm sorry. I want to feed your church and your people. I'm going to feed the least of these. That that's exactly what he's saying. Two, John is always talking about money because he lives in a society in which there are a few really, really rich people and then a ton of poor people. And he gets frustrated all the time because he's dealing with a church that kind of like America has, you know, some people and there was so much money and that there's other people suffering. And he's like, hey, bro, like you can't do this lazy Christianity where it's just whatever. Like you need to obey God. And so I think John is is not trying to give us this mechanical way of paying for our sins with money, but getting us to take repentance, to take bearing fruit and keeping with repentance very, very seriously. And one way they can do that in his context specifically is through giving. But finally, John mentions modest, modesty and humility as a way of repentance. This is basically unspoken, but just being repentant in your heart. He mentions the publican who hardly had words in in the scriptures, in, in the New Testament, in the gospels, and yet he left justified. He says that simply a pure and humble heart will do. 
John encourages his people to live a life in repentance, that, that they can truly live in this repentance and turning from sin. Even the poor, if they wanted to, to do the option where they could give, think back to the poor widow who gave her last pennies. It's not about the amount, it's about the heart. That's what he's telling his congregation that he's calling them to not just place all of their problems and blame it on the devil, but to recognize that the devil is a defeated foe, someone we shouldn't fear. But in fact, we're born in sin. We are born sinners, and we must take responsibility through the grace and help of Christ to both ask for forgiveness of our sins and to turn the other way and to live in holiness. And so I want to encourage you today, if any of that applies to you, Ask God to forgive you of your sins, repent of your sins, trust in Christ's strength and the devil's weakness, and live in victory today. Well, look, thank you so much for listening to the Chrysostom Podcast. If you enjoy what you heard, go ahead and follow us on um, you know, Apple Podcast, on Spotify, on SoundCloud, on Google Podcast. Um, if there's any more platforms you would like us to be on, uh, shoot me a DM, let me know. Follow us on Instagram at Chrysostom underscore podcast. Give us a rating and review and all that good stuff. Send this to somebody who needs it. Just all of it. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks.